want to talk to you about a mystery this morning. The Bible has mentions and mentions many mysteries. And when the Bible mentions a mystery, it mentions it usually in the way of solving it, of solving a mystery. A mystery that's there, people don't understand it, but then the Bible itself solves it. The subject I want to speak about this morning may be one of the most important messages I've preached in a whole year. It is the breaking point, the deal breaker with a lot of people when they come to learn about God, learn about the Lord Jesus Christ. And our text verse is 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Without controversy, there's no wiggle room. There's no wiggle room, no controversy. Great is the mystery, the mystery of godliness. Then it makes a statement that literally knocks my socks off. God was manifest in the flesh. I looked the word up, God, theos, theos, the word used everywhere else is God, a divinity, divinity, the God that, that made everything. The God of Colossians, it talks about made everything and by him all things consist. No, no wiggle room there. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preaching unto Gentiles, received up into glory. Believed on in the world, received up into glory. That's the God we're talking about. There's been a raging controversy through the millennium, through the, well, two millenniums now, we're right up to two millenniums since Christ came, uh, going on since Jesus claimed for himself identity, union, oneness with Jehovah God. That's big. There was no mistake about what Jesus said. By the end of this, uh, by the end of this 30 minutes from now, you'll know there is absolutely no mistake that Jesus himself claimed to be one or of the same of Jehovah God. Cults have risen up with the main purpose of denying Jesus Christ's relationship with Jehovah God, the Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, Seventh-day Adventists, to name a few, just a few. What's the problem? Well, here's some logic for you. Theologically, if Jesus is God manifest in the flesh, then whatever he said or did is true. Do you agree with that? If he's God, and it will come to pass, so whatever he said will come to pass. If he is not God, then either he is a liar, and I wish a bold-faced liar, or he is crazy. He's lunatic. He's crazy. He, he was a madman. He thought himself to be God when he wasn't. But the three logical alternatives that you have here this morning is you're going to believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he was or you're going to believe he was a liar or you're going to believe he was mad, he was crazy, he was a lunatic. That's really the only three logical conclusions you have when you approach 
the person of Jesus Christ. The very foundation of all that we believe as, as born-again Christians rests on Jesus Christ's credibility. And his credibility rests on his identity. You get that? In the next few minutes, I want to kind of peruse through the New Testament and some Old Testament and show some self-explanatory scriptures concerning the deity of Jesus Christ. Let me start with Christ affirming his own divine nature and deity with us. The most famous place, at least I think it's one of the most famous places, is found in John chapter 14, verse 9, where Philip questions Jesus. In John 14, 8, he says, Philip said unto him, Lord, Show us the Father, and it suffices us. It'll, we'll be satisfied with that. And Jesus said unto him, have I, not, have I been so long a time with you, and yet thou hast not known me? Philip. He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Now, I don't know how you can be any clearer than that. A man comes and asks you, show us the Father, and he says, well, show me the Father. Have you been so long with me and not known? That's me. Before this passage came another statement in John chapter 12, verse 45. These are, you can fact check me all you want on this. This is solid. This is rock solid what I'm going to say today. In John 12, 45, he says, He that seeth me seeth him that sent me. So in essence, if you see me, you see the Father. To make sure Jesus meant what he said he did, here's a passage to show that they understood him as we understood that. In John chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, it says, But Jesus answered them, says, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because not only had he broken the Sabbath, but he also, but, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. That was for what the Jews perceived as making himself equal with God in any way. And this was not the first time that he had made himself equal with God. They perceived this a few times. In John chapter 8, verse 55 to 59, is a tremendous passage of this. They said, uh, Yet ye have not known him, but I have known him, Jesus said. And if I should say I know him not, that is the Father, I should be a liar like unto you, but I know him and keep his sayings. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and saw it and was glad. Abraham, going back 2,000 years. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art yet not yet 50 years old. They didn't know how old he was, but he said, You're not 50. And thou hast seen Abraham? And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Now, that's the same terminology, and they picked up on that. They would know the Old Testament. They picked up, that's the same terminology as used in the burning bush 
when the God of the burning bush identified himself to Moses as the I am, the all-existent one. In verse 59, and they took up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going in the midst of them, and so passed by. Now, all I can tell you is the people closest to the event, which were these people, understood what he was saying. Now, the cults will want to take you to these passages, and they'll tell you, well, he didn't really mean that, what he was saying. He, he meant something else. But I'm sorry, the people closest, which were Jews, and which knew the Old Testament, understood him as saying, I am. They took up stones to stone him for blasphemy. Another place we find in, in the book of John, John chapter 10, verse 30 through 33, he makes the statement, I and my father are one. Now, I've been around the Jehovah's Witnesses and people like that, and they've tried to, they try to play that down and say, well, they mean one like we mean one, like a husband and wife are one, like, you know, we're all one today here in, in the faith or something like that. Though they try to downplay it, but that's not the text. That's not what it says. What's it say? He said, I and the Father are one. The Jews took up stones again to stone him. So Jesus answered them and said, Many good works have I showed you, my Father. For which of those good works do you stone me? And, G and the Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. And because thou being a man, makest thyself God. Now there's no wiggle room there. The people who were closest to the event, had most credibility, say that, we understood you to say when you say you're one with the Father, we're understanding that as you are making yourself equal with the Father, consequently blaspheming and making yourself God. And we're going to stone you for blasphemy. They understood that Jesus was not making out like he was some angel or he was Michael or he was Gabriel, like some of the cults want to make out. They understood perfectly what he was saying. And by the way, that's why they crucified the Lord Jesus. Why did they crucify Christ? For all the good he did? For the people he healed? For the demons he cast out? For the feeding of 5,000, feeding of 4,000? For all those miracles he, they witnessed? They didn't crucify him for that. Nobody would crucify somebody for that. They crucified him for what we're talking about today. Mark chapter 14, verse 61. But he held his peace and answered, saying nothing. And again, the high priest, this is at the trial of Christ. The priest asked him, saith unto me, Are thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And here's Jesus' answer in Mark, in Mark chapter 14, verse 62. And Jesus said, I am. There's that again. I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power coming in the clouds of heaven. Now, there's no other place in the Bible that coming in the clouds of heaven was identified more clearly than in, in the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. It talks about he who the whole world would worship would come in the clouds of heaven. And Jesus said, that's the person. I'm the person of Daniel, chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. That's me. They understood him as such. They all understood that if he was the Messiah, he was God manifest in the flesh because that's what the Old Testament prophets said the Messiah would be. How do I know that? Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, written some 
600 years before Jesus appeared. It says, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name. Most of you know it. Emmanuel. Well, you say, well, that doesn't mean that he's going to be God. Well, doesn't it? Well, the best way to interpret the scripture is by the Bible. Not by some theologian, not by me, not by, but go to the Bible. The Bible oftentimes interprets itself in other parts of the Bible and interprets another part that you may not understand. So here, and we find that here. If you go to the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, it, it quotes Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, where it says, Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken to the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. That's a quote of 714. But it doesn't stop there in the New Testament. It says, which being interpreted is theos with us, God with us. Now, there it doesn't get better. It doesn't get better now. When the Bible interprets the Old Testament, the New Testament interpreting the Old Testament, God with us, theos with us. Just like 1 Timothy 3.16 said, God was manifest in the flesh. Theos was manifest in the flesh. And it's just, there's no wiggle room there. I looked up Kyle and Delich. Now, those, those names may not mean much to you, but among preachers they do. Kyle and Delich are very astute scholars, of the, especially of languages. Here's what they say. The incarnation of deity was unquestionably a secret that was not clearly unveiled in the Old Testament. But the veil was not so thick that, but that some rays could pass through. Such a ray directed by the spirit of prophecy into the mind of the prophet was the prediction of Emmanuel by the Old Testament. When the Bible interprets the Bible, it's simply the best way, it's the final say, it's the final interpretation of the verse. If you read Isaiah chapter 9, two chapters from 714, it says in verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Consular, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace. Who's that talking about? You can read commentary after commentary. They're going to say, that's talking about Jesus. That's talking about the Lord Jesus. And it says in verse 7, of the increase of his government, peace there shall be no end and upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order and to establish it with judgment, with justice from henceforth, even forever the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall perform this. It says his, his reign is forever. The same terminology, because I've talked with the cults about this, and they'll say, well, that mighty God, that, that's a lesser God. And by the way, cults, to, some, to work around Jesus being God, they say he's not the God, he's like number two God. He's like number two. There's a like one-two order of lesser God. No, God, no, Jesus is not one. He's not number two. He, he's one. You say, I don't understand that. There's a lot of things you don't understand that you use every day. You do not understand electricity. What is that going through the wire? What is that? You do not understand light and how it can travel all the way from the sun and make us warm or overheat us. Right now, we could use a little of that. 
But if you go to the book of Psalm, chapter 50, verse 1, it, it defines the mighty God. It says, the mighty God, even the Lord. And in King James, it's interesting, it codes that capital L-O-R-D. That's Jehovah God. Anywhere out, then if you read the preface of the King James Bible, it'll tell you that. L-O-R-D capital is always referring to Jehovah God. So it says, the mighty God, even Jehovah, has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun to going down of thereof. So here Jehovah is defined as the mighty God, the same mighty God we find in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, speaking of, obviously in context, of the Christ who was to come, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus affirms he is one with the Father by putting his name on a list for his followers to be baptized in. Now, when you put your name equal with someone, and let me read the verse first. Matthew chapter 28 is where I'm referring, verses 18 through 20. Pretty well-known classical verses. And Jesus came and said unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Who can say that? Who can say that? Who dare say that? All, not most, not a lot of, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. The triunity of God, often referred to as the trinity of God. Maybe not explainable, but testified to in the Bible, both Old and New Testament. You find the Trinity in creation. You find the Trinity various places through the Bible, the triunity of God. He goes on to say, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I, I have commanded you. Now, who is Jesus to say that he can command, coming down now 2,000 years of people, that he has the ability like God to do the Ten Commandments or the commandments of God. But he does. He has that authority. He said, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Who can say that? He, this is after his resurrection. I'm with you. I'm with, now think about how many people there are that claim the name of Jesus. That's a lot of people. That sounds like omnipresence to me. Doesn't it, you? All power is given to me. That sounds like omnipotence to me. Does that sound like that to you? Omnipotence means all-powerful. Omnipresence, all-present. And to be able to fulfill all this, he has to have omniscience, which is all-knowing. How does he know where I'm at? How does he know what I'm doing? How does he know what you're doing? He said, I'm going to be with you, born-again believers that follow my, my resurrection, that believe on me. In that chapter 28 here of Matthew, he says, I'm going to be with you. All power is given unto me. Let me say, if Jesus isn't who he said he was, and he can't do what he said he did, he was going to do. And what comforts me this morning as I go back over this, because this has been a subject I've gone over for 46 years now, and and you know, poured over this, and it just always thrills my soul that the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ has the power to save me. He has the power to preserve me and you because he is God manifest 
in the flesh. And that's what the Bible says he is. That's what he says of himself. If Jesus is not God, there's a number of violations that he has committed in, in violating the, even let's just go back to the Ten Commandments. From the statements he made in the New Testament, Jesus violates, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt worship the Lord and him only shall thou serve. That's found in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and, and, and Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. The things that Jesus said about him giving commandments, commandments are given only by God as far as we know. And so his omnipresence, omniscience, and omnipotence to say would, would uh, be revealed and, and demonstrated by his words. And, and he would have violated the Ten Commandments. No wonder they took up stones to stone him. Because when he said these things to the Jews, they were like, whoa, you've stepped over the line here. You don't have that kind of power. You don't have that kind of knowledge. You don't have omnipresence, but indeed he did. And indeed he does. Jesus openly forgave sins in the Bible, which was reserved really only for God. It says in Mark chapter 2, verse 10, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the sick of the poles, they arise. Thirdly, Jesus allowed people to worship him openly without any rebuke. So Jesus testifies of himself that he was God. Jesus openly and actively forgave sin and challenged them when they told him he couldn't. Uh, Jesus allowed people to worship him. Now, if you were a good Jew and you believed in the, the law of Moses, you believe God gave Moses the law, the Ten Commandments, which represents 613 other specific commandments he gave to them, the children of Israel, to live by. If you believe that to be true, uh, you would uh, believe Jesus was guilty of violating many of those commandments, especially in allowing people to worship him. If somebody came to me and fell down before me, I'd say, stop. I'm not worthy of any of that. I'm not worthy of your adoration or your worship. You give that to God, who is worthy of it. He's the only one worthy of it. Now, if you were a good Jew, that's exactly what you would do. You would never allow that to go on. And, and, uh, but look what happened, in, in starting at Jesus' birth. Let's just start at his birth. Matthew chapter 2, verse 2 says, saying uh, that the wise men, as I spoke last night on, where is he that's born king of the Jews? For he has seen his star in the east, and we are come to worship him. And in verse 11, and when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child and Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. When they had opened their treasures, they presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. If Mary would have been a good Jew, and she was, and if Joseph would have been a good Jew, and he was, they would have said, stop and worship God. But there's no sign, no mention, no question of rebuke in this passage at all. And they would have violated the first commandment. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, Satan, in the temptation of Jesus, Satan comes to him and tempts him. And it said in verse 10, Then said Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shall thou serve. 
Satan took Jesus to a high place and, and had this, the first mention of special effects in the Bible. He showed him the, the powers of the, the powers of the world uh, and the glory thereof in a moment, the Bible said. And he said, if you will fall down and worship me, I will give you all of this because they're mine to give. And that's when Jesus said, uh, oh, no, no, no. He quoted scripture every time, every time Satan came to him and tempted him, he quoted scripture. And that wouldn't be a bad idea for us, would it? But you can't quote scripture unless you know scripture. So that's why I'm on you all the time to read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible, because you need to know that for when Satan comes by your house, you need to talk to him about it and say, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. He says, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shall thou serve. A leper worshipped the Lord Jesus without rebuke. His disciples worshipped, that was found in Matthew 8, 2. The disciples worshipped him without rebuke, found in Matthew chapter 14, verse 33. The woman in Cana worshipped him without rebuke, found in Matthew chapter 15, verse 25. The mother of James and John worshipped him without rebuke, found in Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. The, woman, the women that came to the tomb worshipped him without rebuke and found in Matthew chapter 28, verse 9. All those who saw his ascension worshipped him found in Luke chapter 24, verse 52, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem. How much more proof do we need? Jesus called himself the I Am of the Old Testament. He identified himself as equal or one with the Father. He attributed to himself the very attributes of God. He accepted worship readily without any form of hint or rebuke. He identified himself as the Father's image in John chapter 4, 14, 8 through 9, which I first started out with. The Old Testament identified him as Emmanuel, as God with us. The Old Testament identified him as the mighty God in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and the everlasting Father. The, and finally, in the New Testament, it just outright calls him what all these things have said. 1 Timothy 3.16, our text. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God. And who said that? Paul the Apostle, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, who knew the Old Testament better than Paul the Apostle? Of his own testimony, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was, a, of, of all the Pharisees, he was right at the top of understanding. Now, hist history tells us that Pharisees oftentimes, to be in that, that quality, would have memorized the Old Testament. Now, that meant he had a photographic memory because you couldn't memorize as big as the Old Testament is, by the way, is four-fifths of our Bible. You couldn't memorize it unless you had some sort of photographic memory. Have you ever been around people with photographic memories? I have. I've gone to school with some of them. It's pretty amazing. I had a teacher in grad school where he would say to us at the beginning of class, he would always say, is there any part of the Bible that you would like me to? You start it, I'll finish it. So we'd go to the most obscure places of the, of the minor prophets, and we'd start a verse, and we'd read like four or five words to it, and he'd say, okay, that's, that's Habakkuk 2, 3, and then he'd quote the rest of the verse. And he said, let me quote the verses after that. And he'd quote the verses after that. The Bible was memorized. 
I've never been around anybody. I've been around two people in my life like that. And it was beautiful to study under him because you could ask him anything and he could just quote it. It was beautiful. Wow. I think Paul Apostle was that way. It seems to indicate that Paul the Apostle was that kind of guy. And that's why Jesus especially appeared to him and knocked him down and blinded him for three days. He was full of pride. People that have good memories have a problem about pride oftentimes. You know, with the asset comes a liability, right? Every asset, you get a liability with it. That balances you off. But people with photographic memories tend to be like feeling they're superior to us, that they have something that they have there of a uh, superior intellect. And they, they struggle. I've watched it. They struggle with pride. and They struggle with feeling superior. But, but if, you, if you live much in life and you know the Bible much, you know that pride God rejects is repudiated by pride. Pride is one of the major sins of the Bible. Pride lusts the flesh, lusts the eyes. And God rejects pride. He, re, he rebukes pride. And, and so people that have that kind of gift, if they know about God, they know, well, that it was given to them. And I use a gift, didn't I? I use that word gift. Because you don't have anything you have not received from God. You got sight this morning, you receive that from God. You got hearing this morning, you receive that from God. You have life this morning, You've received this from God. So that makes you humble, right? That doesn't make you proud. I'm a recipient of gifts from God. How dare I brag about myself when I've been given all these gifts to use for his cause and for Christ? So Paul the Apostle, the one that penned 1 Timothy 3.16, being a good Jew, a Pharisee of the Pharisee, knowing the law, knowing how clear it was that they were monotheistic, and by the way, we Christians are monotheistic. We believe in one God. Revealed to us in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. He said God was manifest in the flesh. So what are the consequences of not understanding what I'm talking about this morning? Or not accepting for Jesus for who he is? Well, here's what Jesus said in John chapter 8. Verse 24 and 25. He said, I say therefore unto you, you shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am, you shall die in your sins. The word he, if you look in the King James Bible, is in, a, in a, italics. And what that means is that means it was added in by the translator. It was not in the manuscript. It's added in to try to help you understand and sometimes by doing that, instead of helping us understand, it helps us misunderstand. Because when Jesus said, believe not that I am, that he's not in the original. He was quoting the same thing he quoted in John chapter 8 to them, and they took up stones to stone him. He said, if you don't believe that I am, you shall die in your sins. That's what he said. You look it up. John chapter 8, verse 24. Then said, then said they unto him, who art thou? And Jesus said unto them, even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. If Jesus is God in your life, it will show. If he's just a prophet or just a man upstairs or just a good guy, 
it will show. So who is Jesus this morning? And that's what this wonderful thing called Christmas is about, is the rejoicing in the coming of Emmanuel. Is most maybe the most important question ever posed to you. What will you do with this one called Jesus that is called the Christ? Pilate kept asking him who he was. And he didn't, he didn't get it right, did he? And consequently, his history has it that Pilate, after condemning Jesus and delivering him over to the Jews, later on was demoted and sent out to an obscure post for the Roman government and committed suicide. His wife was right. Have nothing to do with this just man. I've suffered much in a dream because of him. God in his mercy to Pilate even gave him a warning before he condemned Jesus. He said, I don't find any fault in him. That even made it worse. I don't find any fault in him. There's no fault in him. And I'm still going to give him over to be crucified. And I'm going to let Barabbas, a known murderer and a robber, I'm going to let him go. And history has it that he was demoted and committed suicide later in his life. Does your life show that Jesus is God? Jesus being God manifest in the flesh means so much to how the quality of your Christianity will be. If Jesus Christ is who he said he was and who these other people said he was and all of what I mentioned to you this morning, then he is worthy of my life. Now listen to this. Don't miss this. He's worthy of my sacrifice. He's worthy of me changing my occupation if he wants me to. He's worthy of me going to be a missionary somewhere in a poor country, an obscure place, and never being really heard of or known much again. Uh, He's worthy of that, if he is who he said he was. I think the problem with people living for Jesus is they just don't understand who they're serving. You're not serving a a prophet or a good man or or just a just man. You're serving the God who created everything that is both visible and invisible, whether it be principalities or powers or dominions, he created them. And by him, the Bible says, all things hold together and consist. Man, I'm serving a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know he's living, whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer, and every time... what now? Every time I pray and everything and talk to him, he's always near. He's with me. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. Jesus Christ, God manifests in the flesh. I hope this helps you. There's so much more. It's such a clear doctrine, such a clear teaching. May God help us to live like Jesus is who he said he was. Father, help us this morning. May you help us to remember that that little baby in the manger is not just a little baby. That little baby is the creator of all that is. And that's why the Bible said he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That's why the Bible says he humbled himself and became as a servant, made in the likeness of man, and being found in fashion as man, he humbled himself. 
Uh, that's why, Father, we, we, we were willing to give our lives for you, whatever you want us to do, wherever you want us to go. We're willing to say, yes, Jesus, I'll go. Yes, Jesus, I'll do what you want me to do. You want me to sing? I don't have much of a voice, but you move me to sing, I'll sing. You want me to teach? I don't have much ability to teach, but if you want me to teach, I'll teach. Lord God, you want me to be a missionary somewhere, leave my family and my country? Lord, I'll go if you want me to go. Whatever you want me to do, Lord God, I'll do it. You want me to quit the, the sins of the world, the wickedness of the world, and separate myself from that? I'll do it. Why? Because you're God of all that is. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.